you're struggling right now, focus on appreciation for what you do have. And that will expand. So then expand it from there. You know, find what you do love right now about your life and then start to create and co-create because you can create your future by what you think about and focus on now. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Rockstar Nation, you're about to hear the interview I did with Karen Briscoe. You know, Karen is a mega agent out in the area of Washington, D.C., and we talked a lot about you know, real estate and the 40 million transactions she had done so far. But what we really, really talked about is making our lives better and improving our lives during this kind of crazy time of shelter in place and coronavirus. You know, she's been around for the last like three or four recessions, and so she had a lot to talk about with those. And I think there's some actionable tips that she learned that you're going to be able to learn and take with you in your journey today. So listen up. I hope you like it. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Today, I'm getting to interview mega agent Karen Briscoe. I mean, she's going to be able to introduce you to the numbers that she did last year and this year so far with just, you know, kind of three agents. But when you think about the stuff that she's doing, it's really amazing. But more interesting, some of the stuff we're going to talk about is just kind of recessions years past. She's She has been through this before. Right now, we are in the middle of quarantine, which is a different sort of recession, but there are a lot of things that we can talk about for do's and don'ts uh, in real estate and especially in sur- in life and survival in times like this. So Karen, welcome back to the show. How many times have you been on the show? Oh my gosh, Real Estate Rockstar Nation. This is my third time each with a different perspective. So I'm thrilled to have an opportunity to be with you because the other two times were with Pat Hyben, my good friend. Yes, the Pat is a great friend of mine too. The I am glad that he, that you were lucky enough to be interviewed by him a couple times before having to uh, to to come in with me. Hopefully, I can live up to a little bit of the way that he used to do the show for you. So the to so tell us so where is your office at and what sort of volume are you doing with your team out there? So the team is located inside the Beltway of the Washington D.C. metro region on the northern Virginia side. So think CIA, uh, think. Um, uh, Tyson's Corner, every time you see the, the movies, what they show Langley, and nearby to where Amazon HQ2 is now located. Wow, what an, what an interesting spot. You know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of agents lately, kind of from that area. And so I say a lot. I've, I've had three or four people in the last couple months that kind of live near there. And overall, a lot of them have said during past recessions, you know, Washington, D.C. in that area, kind of just plugs on the same because whether the market's going up or the market's going down, people need government. You know, the the government stays big or gets bigger and they haven't seen many changes up and down in the real estate market. What is your opinion on that? Is that an accurate assessment? Yes, that is generally true. The metro region expands and doesn't contract. That being said, we have felt impacts. Uh, You know, the dot-com bust around 2000, 9-11, actually, the market pretty much stalled, uh, took, you know, some time for people to get confidence back. And in we've had sequestrations. Uh, in the run-up of the after 
the rational exuberance. Yeah. Uh, we actually experienced more rational exuberance because of the buildup of Homeland Security at the same time. And so we uh, then had a pretty, you know, meaningful correction. That being said, I anticipate a very similar could have a similar phenomenon happen with this uh, COVID-19 because as the Homeland Security buildup occurred after 9-11, we anticipate that there will be a health infrastructure. We have NIH already, Johns Hopkins, Amazon HQ2, which has got a lot of importance in terms of the data storage, right? Capacity and and, um, just providing the, the bandwidth. So we anticipate that long-term, the market area will benefit from, as it has ongoing, being so near uh, the seat of government across the river. Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyben. Yeah, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple of years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three-minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy-to-follow tips that you can follow on it like a day-to-day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. If you find that, you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the Six Steps for Seven Figures book. And really, there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down to like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So we've slashed the prices because we know right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want, Maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay to get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. So you guys have started the year really strong. I mean, you're at like 40 million in sales or something so far, which is which is really amazing. So a lot of people have had a, a great start to 2020. What has business done in the last 30 days? What are what are buyers and sellers doing out there? And have you redone your estimate for 2020 yet? Yes, it is really beneficial that we front-loaded 2020. It wasn't intentional. It was really, we were just on a roll after 2019. I actually anticipated that there was going to be some sort of market correction in 2020. I remember telling all my clients in January and February, do it now <laughs> while we all know that we're in a, you know, an exuberant seller market because I'm predominantly a listing agent as most mega agents are. And I anticipated it was going to be a correction in the fall of the year associated with the election, which is more typical. And we've had 10 years, a decade of recovery and expansion generally we've had a couple little small blips of sequestrations that we haven't and and also dodd frank impacted our market but this was really 
we were reaching peak prices over and over again, going over peak prices, and those things aren't sustainable. So I, I had started to prepare my clients for that, and I really kept telling them, be first mover advantage, get out there early, get your house sold. And that turned out to be very prophetic because everybody did that, did get their houses sold. We are still putting houses on the market at a much small, slower pace, I would say, because our volume is, or our dollar average is about a million dollars, 900,000 to a million is our average sales price. So uh, we were typically putting on two houses a week, selling two houses a week. Mm-hmm. Right now we're putting on one house a week and still selling two houses a week. Um, right. The thing is, is we're running out of inventory. And that's the biggest thing I see that's slowing down the market is the seller's hesitation for putting their houses on the market. We've increased the, our messaging to the marketplace. Uh, we hadn't really done videos extensively, but we are one or two times a week sending out video messages to our clients uh, to show them how we can help them in this time. That uh, Because the other reason why I'm really hopeful about housing market is that in this time of sheltered place and sanctuary, the thing that people are discovering is the things about their house that doesn't work for them. Oh, man. Or maybe it worked before, but it doesn't work now. So one of the most significant trends we're seeing is people wanting more physical space, more physical distancing. Yeah, people have, they've never spent as much time in their houses as they have now, right? And they're seeing the things of going, hey, I, I never really liked that. Now they really don't like it. So some of that stuff gets gets so amplified, you know. And I think that the we've had a lot of people on here and talk about, you know, what you know. There's still a lot of people that have to sell right now. So people are still listing. And so what what when you're reaching out to people and they're telling you, hey, I was going to list, but now now I'm going to wait it out. What advice are you giving those people? Uh, you know, that are the potential clients out there? Are you telling them they should go ahead and list now? And and why? What is, what is that script that you could share with some of our listeners? Well, ultimately, we're in the customer service business. And the one message that we have found to be, have the most impact is that we're here for you to serve your needs. And what we're helping them through is a lot of times just in their mind, the logistics, just uh, wanting to know how the process works. And we have put in, as many agents have, the processes and systems for so like for example we had open house this weekend and a new listing on the market and the people are living in the house and we set up via the showing time system so that only one group would be in the house at a time Uh, the agent was on site to you know manage the movement through the house and and those kind of things so i find that when the clients understand how we can help them with technology we can help them with putting in good uh, systems that that gives them the confidence and if the what they often they have if they have that that level of confidence then they also need the confidence on the other side right it helps that they have a place to go so where we're seeing also on the other end is is that people are ready to move but they don't have a place to go so we 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 need both an increase in supply of it works both ways, right? Because if, if you're going to sell your house, you need a place to right. buy. If that seller doesn't put their house on the market, you know, really, ultimately, the whole market depends on everybody having confidence. If you think back to the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, 
And <laughs> I know this seems like, why is she bringing this example right now? But George Bailey, when he was in the savings and loan, and it was during the stock market or the market crash of the you know 1920s, he was explaining to his neighbors, his community, that we all rely on each other, right? And the ability for one person to move depends on the other person to move. In the case of him, he was talking about money. And, the, you know, for one person to be able to borrow money to build a house, that required somebody else to put their money in the bank, right? right. And have that confidence. So we really, the entire <laughs> economy and system and communities are built on the fact that we all believe that, you know, by by taking our action, you know, we're, we're not putting ourselves in, in vulnerable we want because that's where people are feeling that they want to try and manage that risk, right? So yeah. increasing those with explaining ways that we can we can help people is one way, and then finding finding the motivated because there are people that have ex- real external needs for moving, uh, and then there are people that just have an internal need. But we think that that's going to become even more evident as we see some loosening of some of the state guidelines. The Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., suburban Maryland had stayed as a central service, real estate had, uh, because of Homeland Security. Uh, so we were fortunate, at least in, in our market area, that we had been serving people's needs all the way through the crisis. Yeah, being able to be that essential service. But you're right, for real estate to work, everybody needs to do their part. You need to have the entry-level houses and the entry-level buyers. You need to have that move up for them to go to. Someone says, hey, I want to sell my house right now, but I want to make sure there's a house to go to. I mean, I've been telling everybody. So we, we listed a, a house that I had just moved out of right when quarantine started. So we, we had to list it on the market 40 days ago. And so my agent worked really hard on it. He did great pictures, great virtual tours, You know, you know everything that he could do to market that thing and the and the transaction is still happening right so now it's going to close in about a week and we were able to sell our house that the you know we we didn't know we were going to have to sell it until this started but we had just moved into a new house right when that started you know as we jump back a little bit too you talked about like i think everybody most people over the last year before coronavirus happened have has said hey we're at a peak hey this can't last forever you know the prices have gone up for a long time and everybody, a lot of people were trying to time that. People were selling assets going, hey, it, you know, I, w- I would tell people, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I, there's a better chance that my house will be worth less a year from now than worth more a year from now. But I'd been saying that for a few years, right? And it just kept, I thought we were peaked out maybe a year ago and then, and then six months ago and then a few months ago. And I think what everybody was, was failing to see was what could cause this, right? Because everybody said, hey, we're at a peak, but Nothing's slowing it down anytime soon. The, did you did you hear much of that? Feel that way? Again, I thought it was going to be election related. If you okay. look back at the last recessions, uh, and it's interesting because some people, and I'm not an economist, but some economists say, you know, this is the market was ready for a correction and it found COVID nineteen, or COVID nineteen found it. I mean, the market was ready for a correction. They just so, needed a domino, yeah. Yeah. So I would say that if you were gonna like, okay, how do I predict the future? Well, the past performance is the best, you know, indicator of future results. Even though you know your your <laughs> your um, financial advisor will say not to rely on that, but that's why the muscle memory of looking at what's happened in last recessions and how long these market cycles last typically because you know 
really truly nobody can predict the future, but we do have signs and indicators that we can look at. And one of the indicators is that, you know, when the market gets completely out of balance one way or the other, right? So I track supply and demand on a quarterly basis for our market area. And it was a tale of two markets. So in the upper bracket, there's plenty of supply and not as much demand. And when you get down into the more affordable brackets, uh, there was a lot of demand and not enough supply. And so when you have these scenarios, uh, oftentimes those are indicators that something's gonna happen um, in, in the market to shifted and just think about how fast it shifted oh my gosh if you did you see the what was that movie that came out that was um in korea i wish i could remember it but anyhow it was parasite yeah okay so think about it how fast they they shifted places right the person who was in power control and the other person who's in power and control. And that's what can happen in markets. And so whenever one is getting really out of whack, that's usually a sign that something is, is going to shift. But really, truly, I, I mean, Warren Buffett even says he doesn't even time it perfectly because nobody really can time it perfectly. You can, you know, generally see the signs when you're starting to peak. And then you can see signs when you're on the other side of the peak and same with, it's a little bit harder on the trough, right? Because, The thing is, is when markets are peaking, people have a lot more confidence. When markets are correcting, people have less confidence. And, you know, what can happen is, you know, you could end up, you know, with the death of a thousand cuts. You know, you could just follow the market down and catch that knife, you know, multiple times on the way down. And that could be very painful. So usually getting ahead of a market in those scenarios are one of the best strategies. Yeah, so the yeah, some of the stats I'll, I'll need to remember ten years from now when we're at the, at the top of our the top of our next one. But as you described that, I think Northern California a few months ago we would have seen that you'd have seen that under four hundred thousand there was like a month and a half of inventory, but for sales prices over a million there was twelve months of inventory, right? And that was a very very uh, extreme difference. We're like, hey, we're in a really really hot market and everything's really high. Except for once you get over a million, there was only a few buyers out there and, and lots of product out there. So that is uh, something interesting. To I had never heard that as a as something to track before. At least the comparison between those, we had seen it, but not knowing that, like, hey, this is a sign of of something to come. Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Muchastegi. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyben. I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day to day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. You find that you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the six steps for seven figures book. And really, there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down to like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So 
Squeeze slash the prices coming in right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like there's a lot of different courses you want, maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay to get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. So let's talk about your experience in last recessions, right? So that you talked about like, hey, they happened during election year, but the but now we've had them you know, kind of every 10 years-ish, right? And the and your business, you were in real estate during those times, is that right? Yes, I graduated from college in 1981, <laughs> which was a recession. <laughs> yeah, right um, that and, time. And that recession was uh, based on gas, oil and gas shortages. Can you imagine? We, we just don't even believe that that could ever happen. Uh, there was very tight money, uh, monetary policy in the 70s, very high interest rates. So oh, I always yeah. like to say my business partner is, is now deceased, but when she was in business in the 70s, if you could, if you could sell a house at 18%, <laughs> uh, you know, think about it. I mean, right, really, like 15% interest rates in the early 80s was like the normal. It was. In fact, we and people were very creative and resourceful. And that's the point I would want to say in terms of learning how to manage the market at the moment. I was sharing uh, or doing a training on during the whole coming soon status early in this 2020 and when we were really uh, agents were vying for inventory and all the MRIS rules and about coming soon. And I was like, so what we should be teaching agents is how to be scrappy because it will be something different. Right now it's coming soon. Really you have to learn how to be resourceful and scrappy because in the 90s, uh, that, that recession in 91, that was around the Gulf War is generally what they attribute it to. Uh, then 2000 was the dot-com bust. Remember that? I mean, there was a major correction. Uh, law of large numbers happened there, right? So stocks and, and um, uh, startups were, you know, anything that had a, a dot-com after it was running up. And we had a, a correction associated with that. And then 9-11. So 9-11 really is the most impactful market in the last you know, half century because of what happened afterwards with monetary policy. So government in that situation decided to be very free with money. And the other thing that was different about 9-11 was it was a, a not just an um, economic, we weren't coming out of just an economic situation. We were also experiencing a security and safety. And that so is important to think about. To the, I've had a lot of people talk about, hey, does this feel like a uh, an 01 type correction, or does it feel like a you know 2007 2008 type correction? Obviously, the 01 was a correction, but not as much financially as the 07 08 correction was just absolutely you know crazy for real estate prices. But when you bring up that idea, right? So September 11th wasn't just you know real estate and financial recession of the businesses that happened there, uh, but it was also like a safety issue. Right, like people changing habits at that time because that's when we had to start taking our shoes off when we flew, and that's when everything was you know, we, we had to change the way that we were living at that time. And I could see that comparison being very similar to what we're going to see now as we're opening stuff back up. It may be that every time 
we fly, we fly with masks now. Like, God forbid, I hope that's not what's going to happen. But there will oh, yeah, be. No, it's already happened. Trust right, me. but it would, right, it is happening now. So, how long will they say, "Hey, you always have to fly with masks or not"? Especially because the airport used to be a place that they would never have wanted you to cover your face, and now they're going to be requiring people to do that. So, when I think about what you said there, so 2001 was kind of two of those changes. But at that time, the you know, government policy came and injected a ton of cash into the market, a ton of subsidies, a ton of bailouts, a lot of things that way. And then the, the housing market had a huge run up after that. So the so when you think about, do you, do you think this is uh, the correction that we're going to see now? And I guess there's some comparisons to September 11th as far as that extra change. But do you think we're going to see a price correction like what we saw in 2001? Or do you think we'll see a price correction like what we saw in 2007? Or or do you think that within a few months we'll be balancing along? See, I don't feel like we had a real estate price correction in 01. 01 was the dot-com bust. Right. And, and, and people were impacted, but they weren't impacted anywhere near. Right. Like There's just a lot less now. cash in the market. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was just like, it was... Um, what we're experience, what we experience in most of these markets is really uh, tight, you know, monetary cash flow um, lending guidelines become stricter, all that kind of thing. Which, you know, of course, we're seeing that again right now. So I think it's really a combination of, of two, and the the two the oh seven oh eight uh, the economic crisis of oh seven oh eight. Now, was it a ha- that was a housing and financial market crash? This is going to be an economic crisis, not necessarily a housing crisis. Uh, the, the safety security crisis of 9-11 is the other aspect. So I think we have a, a, a merging of two at the same time. What is different about this than those? Well, first of all, let's talk about what happens if people don't have jobs or economic uh, security or safety nets. Um, they can, they're not going to be able to buy a house. Or yeah. they may lose their house. Now, what's different now than in the 0708 is now I think people have a lot more equity. So I think they have the ability to carry longer. So I, I don't think we're going to like see an immediate rash of, of foreclosures. But I do think that it's going to, again, with the stricter lending guidelines, it's going to be a smaller pool of buyers because you're going to have to have a really stable job. You're going to have to have a lot of reserves. That's what we're hearing over and over again. And... So that's going to, you know, whenever you have a device in highways and roads, you know, they put in traffic calming devices, you know, and they put in speed bumps or narrow the road or whatever. We have narrowed the road, not we, but the market has been narrowed because there's just going to be less people that are going to be able to go through that road, okay, that qualify. And so whenever you have a demand change, if the, the supply isn't in mirroring the demand, then you're going to have a market correction in pricing. What's different about this is, is we don't have any supply. As I say we, most market segments where there's demand don't have enough supply. Right. And they were already going into that. See, the difference was in 07, 08, 09, is supply kept increasing. And that's why tracking the numbers on a quarterly basis, I find to be the best way to know which direction the market's going because as a real estate professional, we live into the future of the market. You know, appraisers look back, but we look into the future. And we're trying to predict where the market's going. And when you're tracking supply and demand, you can see where, if it's, you know, getting ready to shift over to, you know, either buyer's market or seller's market. And what I see signs are that 
we will have less buyers, but we also still have less sellers. So I don't think I see prices going down. Yeah. I think watching that supply demand curve for everybody. So all you agents listening out there, I mean, we're going to see changes every week right now and every week and every month. But one of the biggest indicators historically that we saw back from like 2007 to 2010, when we were deciding what neighborhoods to reinvest in and what neighborhoods to buy in, we looked at that housing demand curve. And so if you're going to, you know, calculate your supply demand where you where you're living it's how many houses are on the market and how many houses sold last month and you divide those and if you had you know a thousand houses on the market and 500 sold last month that means you have two months of inventory that everything there could sell within a couple months the you know and, and there's a lot of different opinions on what a healthy amount of inventory is but i remember northern california back in you know 2008 2009 that you'd have like 24 months of inventory in some that, in some that's, counties that's definitely oversupply Right. Uh, I mean, six months is over time is considered to be a balanced market. I think the important thing to watch is which direction is it going, right? So if over time you're getting more and more supply, it's becoming more and more of a buyer's market. If over time you're getting more and more demand, it's you know becoming a seller's market. So you want to know which direction it's going because, again, as a real estate agent, we're living into the future of where the market's going. It's, it's like the Wayne Gretzky quote, you want to skate to where the puck is going. So you want to project to which direction it's going. And that's the best way to know is to always be looking in terms of which direction it's going. Yeah. Look at those statistics and be able to see what is the change that's happening. Because it could go, you could have a ton of inventory this month and a, and a lot less next month, especially when you're going to have those extreme things happening right now. People all of a sudden saying, hey, I'm going to put my house on the market. People taking their house off the market saying, hey, I'm going to wait this out because I don't want to show my house right now. I had a, on the state of the market 46 that just went live today, you know, uh, Trevor Mock had come on here and he showed a bunch of data of the amount of buyers that were searching, like in Google, they were like typing in, you know, sell my house fast or sell my house right now or cash offer for my house. And the, the week or two right after, you know, the shelter in place orders hit, the search demand went way down for a week, for a week or two. And then on about the third week, people started searching again, sell my house now, sell my house now. And now the, you know, the searches for that are 40% higher nationwide than they were pre-COVID. So that means way more people right now are searching, sell my house now. And so one of the advice, you know, pieces of advice he gave is, hey, when you're talking to those sellers, tell them now's the time to list your house because all of a sudden, shelter in place will lift. All of a sudden, people will go back to normal and there will be a bunch of buyers and that might be too late to get your house ready to list. To, to decide, you don't want to decide to list when everybody's flying out to go buy a house. You want to decide to list two weeks early, right? Yeah, and I call it the first mover advantage. I, it may be second mover advantage, but the, the early to, you know, whatever usually has a benefit. Uh, and so, yes, because if you get, you know, stuck in rush hour, <laughs> if you will, then your house could not benefit from the fact that there's a lot of demand in right. that particular segment. So I'm always an encourager of going for the first mover um, because then you, I think you have more uh, control over the process if, than if you get stuck in, in the rush hour. Yeah, it's, it's much easier to make your house stand out right now. Right, yes. like while inventory is still low, if there are a whole bunch of people that are getting ready to, to sell their house soon, right now is a good time where inventory is still low. So you can put your house on the market now, make it look different, make sure as agents you guys are, you know, using that, telling people now is the time, and then giving them all of the extra stuff that they need to be able to do that. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. So the so you know you have this huge real estate team, you do a bunch of real estate stuff, but you also 
um, do a lot of like kind of encouraging speaking and, you know, kind of life coach type stuff of have life hacks for your life. And, and you have a book that came out a year ago that kind of talks about that. And maybe it's more applicable now than it ever was. Tell us about that part of your life. Uh, you know, that part of your, your book and, and the other side of that, like you're obviously successful in real estate, you're financially successful, but let's talk about that life stuff. Yeah, so I call those my creative endeavors. And what happens oftentimes when people achieve a high level of success, other people don't know how they do it. So, you, you know, often I started coaching and speaking and training. And it really came because after surviving multiple market corrections, right, and people really want to know how you do it. Uh, so I, my first book is Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day. And that came about because people wanted to know my hacks and my tips and everything, but they all said they didn't have enough time. So I was like, okay, well, do you have five minutes a day? And everybody had five minutes a day. It, it's true. It turned out to be true. There's a, uh, you know, this principle, um, Parkinson's law that says limiting or restricting time actually will help you be more effective and efficient. So that book is designed to be a daily reader and it has these basic principles or time hacks um, for being a successful real estate agent or salesperson or entrepreneur. It really uh, translates well into all those areas. So the second book was Commit to Get Lead 66 Day Challenge because I had a lot of people say, yeah, that's really great, Karen, but I really want to just dive into lead generation, right? I want to get my business development and my prospecting up. And so there's a lot of research on habit formation in 66 days and how that is. Uh, so that's where that book came about. So Commit to Get Lead 66 Day Challenge. The way Flip Time Love Life came about is I was uh, asked to actually do a, a TEDx open mic and somebody said, well, I've kind of become an expert on time because uh, kind of a productivity uh, expert because what I had found so much in my podcast, Five Minute Success and all these conversations is that um, time is really a created thing. To say you don't have time is like saying you don't want to. So in this TEDx open mic talk, I was talking about time and what happens if you get to be successful in your career, and then you find out you run out of time or you don't have time to do what you say you want to do. And you may remember from your psychology days the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you work your way up the pyramid. You, know, you start with your physical needs, your safety needs, your esteem needs, your relationship needs, and then you do your self-actualization. I was like, what if you just flip the whole pyramid and you start with self-actualization? And that's where the whole idea of flipping time to love and your life. For, so for people that haven't seen that, that pyramid, it, it's kind of saying like the order that people get stuff done. And at the very bottom, it's like, it's our most basic needs, like shelter, safety, food, Toilet right? paper, yeah. right? Like, I mean, like really so <laughs> COVID-19 has brought it all out. Everybody has gone back to the basics, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why it's really relevant now is that I wrote it because my story the heroine in my in the book she was really successful and she's like is this all there is well with COVID-19 I think a lot of people are looking around going is this all there is is this what I want to focus my time and my life on now that I know that uh, this could be it right so it's really relevant is in fact maybe more so now yeah you know there was I remember several years ago, the, you know, in my family, we, my, my wife and we had like gone broke 
and we were struggling with putting our family back together. And my dad passed away way, way younger than he was supposed to. And when he died, he had money in the bank, but all the stuff he was supposed to do. And we think back then, that was when we kind of looked and said, hey, if we ever get out of this, we're going to do this different. And if we ever get successful again, we're going to do this different. And if we're ever financially stable again, we're going to do this different. And it's kind of that self-actualization that then for all of the years following, the, the, the memories, the creating memories as a family, the doing stuff that's really important, you know, putting that stuff first, you know, mindsets happen out of crisis, right? And so I, th- I think your book really can help apply now for people. Everybody's looking around now saying, hey, life is crazy. You know, just like you said, they're saying, is this all there is? Or, hey, they're like longing for the days of, God, I wish I could just go to a park. I wish I could just go drive over there right now. They're starting to appreciate so many things they didn't have before. So I think this is probably one of the few times people will get to, to relook at everything and go, hey, what, what do I want to do to change my life for the rest of my life? What is really important? Have you had any actualizations out of this that's been like that maybe you knew early on that you had forgotten that now you're saying like, hey, I'm going to change this in my life or do this different in my life now? Well, I've had a couple of life events as similar to yours, you know, with your father and my husband uh, last year at a, um, was in the hospital for congestive heart failure on my 60th birthday. Oh, wow. And that really does make you reevaluate your life. And we had made a decision as a family. I was like, you know what? We're going to go to all the places now we want to go. <laughs> and so I, you know, we scheduled this, you know, uh, trip with my husband and I to go to, to um, Santorini and, and Crete. And then my daughter and I went to Switzerland and then our whole family with my, now my son's fiance, he, he, he proposed to her in Argentina and Chile. And I look back and I, at the time when I was doing, I was like, I thought the urgency was related to my husband's health and how long will we be able to travel? And he's fine now. We're very blessed. But I started really feeling the urgency then. And I was like, I want to do everything now. And there's, you may know Hal Elrod with the Miracle Morning. Oh, yeah. Good so Hal now. has an affirmation. And it is, I love the life I have as I create and co-create the life of my dreams. And that really became my affirmation because sometimes people live into the future like, oh, I'll do that when, when the kids retire. I mean, when the kids graduate from school or when, when I retire or when you know, whatever happens, they're waiting to live their life and they don't necessarily love what they have now in their life, right? Right. So, or it's the other way around. They're living their life now, like, you know, there is no tomorrow and yet they, they don't have anything in their future that they can look forward to. So it's an and statement. I love the life I have and yeah. I love what I'm creating or co-creating for the future. And that was a real pivot or shift for me and so I feel like I was as much as anybody could be mentally and emotionally prepared for this uh, it really hasn't been it's been an I see as an opportunity I'm looking for all the opportunity you know, if you think about the symbolism of, of in the Chinese symbol of danger is or crisis is where danger and opportunity intersect Right. I'm seeing all the opportunity here. And I'm also reflecting on the fact that I'm so glad I did everything I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. <laughs> that was you know, the biggest uh, realization that my wife and I had a couple weeks ago. So we have spent the last, the last few years just traveling all over the world with our kids. We pulled our kids out of school and we've gone to, I don't know, dozens of countries with them and, and all sorts of different things. And a few weeks ago, she was very down about what was happening. And she was very down about 
like going like, Hey, we, we had, we had some trips that got canceled. We, you know, we were yeah, supposed to be somewhere true. else. We were supposed to be in New York. So she was down and then, but then she had this moment where she said, but Hey, we are so lucky that we spent the last few years doing that. So I think right now everybody can take that. Like, had we not made that shift now, now there's going to be some countries we won't be able to go to or may not to. So I think everybody can assess right now and say, Hey, what are you grateful for that you did in the last year or two that the, you know, that you're glad that you did. You're glad you didn't wait because right now you might not be able to do it or may never be able to do it again or maybe a year or two before you do it. And then also people can look at this and say, hey, when everything does open up, this is what I'm going to do first. And this is what I'm going to do different. I, you know, I, I like seeing so many people walking through the neighborhood with their kids, with their dogs, with their everything. So many people are out doing the stuff again that everyone was too busy to do before. I hope some of that stays. I see people being kind and saying, hey, is there anything I can do for you? I see people at the grocery store, like walking out of the way to say, no, you first, no, you first, like, every, like human kindness. Uh, I, I've seen just upping its level. So when I get to see all those opportunities and changes for people, I hope those are the things that people have come out of it. So if you were going to tell somebody, right, if somebody reached out to you and said, Karen, like the, I'm really struggling right now, you know, not even real I'm really struggling right now with this. What can I do? What is, what would you tell somebody that they should be thinking about doing? I mean, I love the Hal Elrod quote. I had to rewrite it down. I've heard it a bunch of times, but I also love times like this to reassess the things that maybe we had learned before that we should be saying again, uh, you know, before we got to this level. But what would, you know, what would be the one, the one or two things you would tell somebody right now if they said, Karen, I'm just struggling. I'm just having a tough time with all of this. What can I do? Well, I'm sure you've heard what you appreciate appreciates. And yeah. what often happens when people are struggling, and myself included, we start focusing on the things we don't want in our life. And I, I you know, I've been there. I mean, when my husband was in the hospital on my 60th birthday, I wasn't like really thinking this is exactly what I wanted for my birthday. Right. And then I started to appreciate all the things that, that it brought us, you know, it brought us, a, a, first of all, a second chance for him and his health. It turned out to be a virus and it impacted his heart. And so there are viruses out there all the time. Yeah. So it's not just COVID-19. Uh, but we appreciated the fact that there was really a health wake-up call. Um, our daughter came up to visit. We appreciated the opportunity to be with her. We appreciated all the healthcare workers. We appreciated all the people that supported and helped us. So we, we focused on that. So I would say if you're struggling right now, focus on appreciation for what you do have and that will expand. So then expand it from there. You know, find what you do love right now about your life and then start to create and co-create because you can create your future by what you think about and focus on now. And just know that if I can do it, you can too. Yeah, I, I love that because you're right. What you appreciate appreciates. And if you're focusing on the negative, then the negative seems bigger and bigger and bigger. If you're focusing on the thing that you can't have in your life right now, man, that can take over everything. But if you focus on what's good and what you appreciate, because I think everybody's life could be, uh, it could always get worse. I mean, that is, I mean, I've learned so many different times in my life, it can always get worse. There's always something to appreciate uh, what we have. Sometimes you have to search for it. Sometimes you really have to look to find that thing to appreciate. But I think you're right. If there's nothing else to focus on, you get to focus on that. The Karen, if somebody wants to reach out to you for, for real estate coaching or get some tips or send you some leads in Washington, D.C., yeah. or anything, what is the best way for them to find you and, 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 and what do you want to have them go do? 
Well, my name is very Googleable, <laughs> Karen Briscoe and real estate. You're going to find me. I think I have the whole first page or second page. Uh, so if you want to find out about the books and the podcast, it's very easy because it's the number five minute success. So that's a website. That's the podcast where you can pick up all podcasts. And the books are all on Amazon, uh, Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, Commit to Get Leads, 66 Day Challenge, and Flip Time, Love Life. And you can reach out to me through all those portals for the real estate world as well, as you mentioned, because we are here where HQ2 is. And we can help any of your clients that are coming this way. I think we're going to see up a build up in the well, we're going to have an election, so that's going to change a lot of things yeah. uh, coming up in a few months. Um, but it, we're happy to help with your real estate needs here as well in the Northern Virginia, uh, Washington, D.C., suburban Maryland region. So they can go find you. How often do you release your podcast? So it is it has an episode once a week. We had been twice a week, but we're taking a, a little bit of a step back on that formatting. But we also have a special episode once a month called Flip Time, Love Life. And then uh, we just went into a philanthropic partnership with Front Row Foundation. You may be familiar with this. Oh, yeah, guys. I know John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Roman. Uh, we wanted to do something where we could make a contribution as a community. And so we had a special episode for that. But we, you could also find out more about the Front Row Foundation on the 5-Minute Success website. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm good friends with John out here. I'm part of Front Row Dads as well. Yeah. The, uh, so many great programs out there. So, Karen, the, you have given everybody uh, some great advice today on, on what they can be looking for, some different things for them to be able to analyze the real estate market where they are. But I think one of the things that I'm the most excited about checking out some more is you know, your book of the, you know, the Flip Time, Love Life, and that whole lifestyle change. I think that I think that is the biggest thing everybody should be getting out of this. You know, we're going to find a way to survive financially. We're going to find a way to survive in our life. But what are we going to do that actually makes the next 10 years way better than the prior 10 years? And it's times like this where we rediscover and find that. So, Karen, thank you for joining us on Real Estate Rockstars today. I'm sure we will have you back in the future. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Bye-bye. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger, yes, the one finger that points at people, and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on the million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.